This is Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That is the message from Governor Maura Healy to Steward Health. She wants the company to sell its nine hospitals in the Commonwealth and leave. On Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Lori Trahan has been pushing to protect hospitals that serve the most vulnerable people in the future. Now, Trahan represents the state's third district, including towns like Haverhill, Lowell, Newburyport. She's also co-chair of the committee responsible for the messaging for House Democrats. Joins us now, Congresswoman. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Listen, lots to talk about, including uh, the threat of a potential partial government shutdown on Friday. We'll get to that. But I want to start with Stewart, and I'm going to play a little sound from Governor Healy yesterday at a conference. It frankly disgusts me, as I've spoken to earlier, uh, the fact that uh, a particular CEO came and chose to do what it appears he did in terms of how he ran operations and put patients and providers and our communities at risk. Do you agree with what the governor said at the press conference, Congresswoman? And and can anyone actually force Steward or another for-profit company to kind of leave the state like in the Old West when you, the sheriff you know makes you get out of town? Uh, well, I absolutely agree with the stance of the administration and and Governor Healy. And look, she has to take this tough stance. I, you know, I represent communities that rely on three of Stewart's nine hospitals, and um, and we owe it to those communities to make sure that they continue to have their healthcare access. I mean, look, I I've been sounding the alarm in Washington on this four profit healthcare model uh, and how broken it is. Um, it puts profits over patients and providers, and they've got to go. Uh, it's And it's my hope that a nonprofit system can take over the hospitals owned by Steward uh, because they have a proven track record of, you know, putting those patients, those communities front and center of those healthcare decisions. Is there a constituent that sticks in your mind? Have you heard from someone in your district who's got a particular health care need or a particular health care worry that makes them vulnerable based on what's happening with Steward? Yes. Well, I think, you know, as anything, when these when this plays out in the headlines, it gives people pause uh, going to their hospital, uh, making sure that safety is paramount. Uh, you know, we've talked to patients uh, in Methuen. We've talked to uh, doctors um, who have sounded the alarm on, you know, watching uh, equipment not being available, uh, supplies not being at the ready. Uh, so yes, I mean, this is a community that you relies on these hospitals. They've had their babies there. They go there for, you know, their emergency medicine, and they just want assurance that um, that they're going to be able to have that health system stabilized and safe uh, and reliable for them to go to. Part of what it seems has made Governor Healy most angry in the last few days is the fact that Stewart didn't give her all the information she asked for by a deadline last Friday afternoon. And in particular, it sounds like she believes that Stewart cannot produce audited financial statements for 2022. I am mindful that you signed on to two letters from our delegation asking for financial information from Stewart. Deadlines tomorrow. Uh, have you gotten what you asked for? Are you satisfied with the quality? I mean, so you too have wanted these financials. What are you seeing? 
That's right. We're not getting it, just like the administration isn't getting it. Uh, it's been like pulling teeth trying to get even the most basic information. Uh, and that just adds to the the frustration um, and the lack of confidence uh, that, that Stewart is going to do the right thing. And so I do think that uh, the administration is being you know tough uh, because they're putting uh, the residents of Massachusetts and the patients of these hospital uh, of these hospitals first. And that's exactly what we need to, that's exactly how we need to lead here. You've co-sponsored uh, this Reinforcing Essential Health Systems for Communities Act. Now, obviously, it's more complicated than this, but in a nutshell, more federal funding and support to safety net community hospitals. Is there is there wide bipartisan support for this? And if there is in this Congress, can it get passed? Um, well, I do, you know, so we just introduced the legislation uh, last week, and and it is because these are essential hospitals, right? There is no plan B if Lowell General or Lawrence General has to cut back on their services or, uh, you know, God forbid, worse. Um, and so we need to recognize that uh, as we fund these hospital systems, that we have to make sure that they're stable, that they can offer the services that communities, um, and often these are underserved communities, that they need. Uh, so it's important legislation. I did introduce it with a Republican, uh, Representative Valdeo from California, and we are going to work to make sure it's bipartisan widely. Uh, you know, we're going to, I think right now, especially coming out of COVID, there is a, a there's a, a real big push to make sure that our community hospitals, uh, our essential hospitals are uh, in good position to continue that the care that they're providing. So we're going to be exhaustive in putting together that coalition and uh, and working it through committee and hopefully getting it to the floor. So one last question on this. We've talked a bunch here on Radio Boston in the past about the role of community hospitals. And we've even uh, talked to people who have gone into southern states and looked at the roles that community hospitals play there. Do you have a read? I know uh, sort of the load-bearing role they play in New England. In traditionally red and in Republican states, do community hospitals serve that same load-bearing role? Is is that a potential for common ground here, Congresswoman? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the, uh, you know, the, the Republicans who have already expressed interest or have gotten onto the bill, right, they're worried about their rural communities. They're worried about the same things we are, right? They don't want to see services get shuttered. They want to actually expand services. We're talking on the healthcare sub subcommittee about making sure people can go to their community uh, hospitals to get the mental health care they need, the, the substance use disorder treatment that they need. Uh, that can't be sent, you know, uh, you know, 50 miles away, 60 miles away. And so I think that there is um, uh, an opportunity for common ground here. Uh, there is a there's more than a thousand hospitals that qualify for support under this legislation. I think that underscores the nationwide need for this additional support, regardless of the state, you know, red, blue, or purple. We're talking with Congresswoman Lori Trahan from the 3rd District. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. You've just been talking about common ground. Uh, does not seem to be common ground on the budget. Again, we are facing a potential parcel shutdown again on March 1st, and then there would be a subsequent sort of layer on March 8th. Um, I feel like I've asked this question a number of times since last fall. Um, you know, on a scale of, uh, let's make it up, one to three. One is it's unlikely to happen. Three is, yeah, there's going to be a shutdown on Friday. Uh, where do you think we are right now, Congresswoman? 
you know, I'm I'm at a two, I guess. I'm trying to be optimistic. You're getting different stories, whether you're talking to the Senate or or to the House. Um, but I think this meeting with the White House today is is going to be pivotal. Pivotal. Um, but House here we leadership go uh, with uh, and Senate leadership with President Biden. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know, it is, you do have this feeling of here we are again, you know, just a month after the last time House Republicans drove us to the brink of a government shutdown with no plan, and they're doing the same thing. Uh, you know, Mike Johnson hasn't brought up a single appropriations bill since Democrats had to bail uh, him out of his dysfunctional con- uh, conference and vote to prevent a shutdown in January. Um, and now, you know, look, we're starting to hear from the most extreme members again. Uh, that they want to cut programs like WIC and SNAP that literally help millions of hardworking families put food on the table for their kids. So, you know, again, we find ourselves in this moment uh, that's dangerous when families can't afford for the programs that they depend on to be cut. They also can't afford a shutdown that could delay or freeze those benefits altogether. So, Look, the obvious path forward, as it's always been, is a bipartisan long-term funding agreement that prevents uh, the risk of a shutdown and, you know, provide stability that families and service members and so many here in Massachusetts deserve. But that that's going to require Speaker Johnson to stand up to the extreme members of his party and work with Democrats to get it done. So I just want to clarify for listeners, uh, the March 1st round, if there is a shutdown, would actually include programs like WIC and SNAP, as well as Departments of Agriculture, Energy, Veterans Affairs, Transportation. There's a lot in what you just said, Congresswoman Trahan. I'm going to pull a couple of pieces out, um, beginning by playing to you some sound from the January round you just referred to when we spoke with your colleague, Congressman Jim McGovern, who I know you know cares a lot about hunger and benefits like WIC and SNAP. When people say you got to do more... Do more in what way? Should we agree to deep cuts in WIC, the Women's Infants and Children's Program? You know, should we d- agree to deeper cuts in environmental protection or or basically cut the infrastructure monies that are helping to rebuild our country? Uh, do you want to cut aid to help our veterans? Or, I mean, we can go on and on and on. I mean, so we have given, we have moved. He said that because I asked him, Congresswoman Trahan, okay, so at what point does somebody move <laughs> so that a budget gets passed? And, you know, in an election year, you, both sides, you know, Republicans and Democrats may have advantages for certain positions, et cetera. But in the meantime, you know, at what point does somebody move? You're saying that there's intransigence, that there's nothing that you can do about on the Republican side. I'm also mindful that sooner or later we might see a year-long continuance. That would be nobody does anything. We continue the old budget. That leads to 10% cuts triggered at some point. I, I just, listen, I'm, I'm in the process of buying a car, and it minds, makes me think, it, do we have a car here where the axle's just broken and it can't run anymore in Congress? Are we that broken? Uh, well, so I don't think the whole system is broken, right? The I think the White House, Senate Dems and Republicans uh, and House Dems are able to get together. But this is another uh, instance of House Republicans being unable to come to the table. I mean, yeah, but if that wheel is off, the car doesn't run. Yeah, that that is true. Um, but we've moved, right? The only thing House Republicans have have moved are the goalposts, right? I mean, look, it's this is. Um, the, the, the stakes here are if a re- resolution isn't reached by Friday night at midnight, a significant portion of the federal government is going to shut down. And you you named transportation, veteran affairs, 
Housing and Urban Development, even the FDA. But those consequences of that grow worse by the day. You know, thousands of workers here in Massachusetts will be furloughed. Veterans could have access to their VA benefits delayed. Air traffic controllers could be asked once again to go to work without pay. Uh, And, you know, as if that's not bad enough, the rest of the government is slated to run out of funding just a week later. Uh, So it'll get worse. And so I do think that House Republicans have to contend with the fact, one, this is entirely preventable. Uh, Speaker Johnson has to be willing to put the country over his extreme wing of the conference and work with Democrats, as the Senate has, as the president has been willing to work so many times. uh, And he could get it passed if he would allow for it to be passed without a majority of Republicans, correct? That's that's absolutely true. Same with the uh, funding for Ukraine and our national security package. If he put that vote that passed the Senate on the floor tomorrow, it would pass overwhelmingly. And then he'd lose the speakership. And then who comes next? I mean, it just feels like it just would get harder and harder to then find the next person uh, in in the in the in the house on the GOP side to work with it it, it really I, you know I listen I, I I'm not even sure how you answer this question to me but boy it just seems like a doom spiral until after the November election Congresswoman look I think at some point Republicans are going to have to reckon with that but at the end of the day these are really important decisions with implications nationally and globally. And you have to put your country over party uh, on these decisions. I, I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even begin to emphasize the stakes right now of us not passing the national security package, us not, uh, you know, passing a funding package and and uh, averting a, a government shutdown. I mean, really, one person's, uh, you know, quest to to continue as speaker and not bring something to the floor that the majority of members in the in the people's house are going to vote for? Is that what our, uh, you know, system of government has has come to? Uh, look, we should avert a shutdown by passing a funding solution that takes a shutdown off the t- t- table between now and the election, because I just don't believe that people think that this is how governance should work. We're with Congresswoman Lori Trahan. I- I'd like to keep you a little longer if I can. Absolutely. Great. So I'm going to shift to a subject that I know is deeply personal for you, Congresswoman, and you have spoken about how it is personal for you. And I want to acknowledge that because I'm actually going to ask you about the messaging around it. And I didn't want to be disrespectful about the fact that it's also personal for you, but you're responsible for messaging for the Democratic House. And I'm talking about the move on the 16th of February by the Alabama Supreme Court that essentially granted personhood status to frozen embryos under state law, calls into question fertility treatments such as IVF, right? Uh, Now that's in Alabama, um, but there there are wide-ranging implications. I'm gonna play a little sound for you from Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley with us last Friday. They have no business being in anyone's family business. First, they came for abortion access, then birth control, and now IVF. And we can't allow them to dictate when, how, and whether we grow our families. And I'm going to add to that the fact that the court, and especially its chief justice, Tom Parker, made a fundamentally biblical argument in the courts with phrases like glory of God, um, all human beings bear the image of God is a part of that quote, um, you know, advancing a Christian biblical argument 
into law in Alabama. So with those two pieces out there, what is the message and and you know, does it work uh, for your objectives? Well, look, I'll start by saying that the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling um, that the state's extreme Republican abortion ban could lead to charges against women and providers going through IVF is disastrous for women in Alabama. And it's heartbreaking uh, to 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 imagine uh, the families who have gone through every possible fertility treatment available before turning to IVF and then having that option ripped away from them. I mean, it's a pain that I cannot imagine. Uh, but look, this is something we have been raising concerns about since the Dobbs decision almost two years ago, that sloppily written Republican abortion bans could go far beyond their goal of eliminating women's right to abortion care. And we're now seeing that become a reality in Alabama with other states possibly following close behind. And Republicans are scrambling right now. I mean, for years, they've catered to the demands of extreme anti-abortion organizations that have pushed to go far beyond overturning Roe v. Wade, including by targeting Mifepristone, banning contraception, and eliminating IVF. Mifepristone is abortion medication. Yeah, and after we, you know... After last week's ruling in Alabama, Republicans are uncomfortable with the positions they themselves have taken because of how unpopular they are with the American people. And now they're going to try to backtrack and say they support IVF or worse, pretend that they're surprised or appalled by the decision in Alabama when we've been sounding the alarm about these consequences since the Dobbs decision was rendered. So you don't think that your Republican colleagues in the House are were taken by surprise by this. You don't you think that's fake? I think uh some will shame on them either way, right? If they didn't play this out uh and 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 think of this scenario, um and then certainly this this is part of the game plan. We know that um uh I well, I'll just say it's ridiculous. Right now, you have 124 House Republicans co-sponsoring legislation. It's called the Life at Conception Act. Right now, as we speak, that would effectively ban IVF treatment like we've seen in Alabama, and it would do so nationwide. Now, no one forces you to take that stance. Every member of Congress chooses the bills he or she adds uh, his or her name to. And over half of the Republican conference in the House decided to co-sponsor this extreme bill. And now they're retreating from that position and saying that's not what the bill actually does. But not a single House Republican who co-sponsors that bill has been able to square the fact that the Senate version was updated to carve out an exception for IVF. But the House version didn't include that same language. It would ban IVF, not just in Alabama or other Republican states with extreme abortion bans, but everywhere, including here in Massachusetts. They're just panicking because they've been caught. And this is absolutely going to be an election issue. Uh, I'm going to make sure of it. So so let's stay with that. And thank you for that. That's clarifying. It it answers my question. So then this election issue, last messaging question for you. There are a series of issues, right? We could talk about the economy. We could talk about inflation. We could talk about national security. You could talk about abortion in the courts. If people's fears are deeper, if there is a more existential angst happening in the country, fundamental belief in institutions, what is the message then, Congresswoman? Well, 
you are right to say that the stakes in this election couldn't be higher. And we definitely have uh, a lot of contrast to draw uh, between what happens when Democrats are in power and what happens when Republicans. But this is about protecting our fundamental freedoms. Look, the Republican nominee for president is bragging about appointing the Supreme Court justices who overturned Roe v. Wade, while simultaneously working with these dark money anti-abortion groups to craft even more restrictions on women's reproductive rights. He has a speaker in the House whose strings he pulls whenever he wants, and who before becoming speaker supported not one, not two, but three different bills to ban abortion. So I hear you. So, so that's what's not working. What, as, a, as, a, as a, a Democratic member of the House, given the other questions that I've asked you, and I don't know, Congresswoman, maybe I'm asking you to tell me, but what, what, what is the message that says it's going to be okay? Well, I, look, I think that there, we could put the Health Care uh, uh, Protection for Women Act on the floor uh, tomorrow. Um, we're not going to back down from this fight. Um, it, we, we must preserve the ability for women to have the freedom to make decisions over their own body. Uh, we have to make sure that mifepristone is available as it's been prescribed for decades. We have to make sure that women can start families using IVF and whatever fertility treatment is available to them. We are not going backwards. That's the message. Protecting the freedoms that we value and we cherish as Americans, that is what November is all about. Uh, so it's 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 really important. That starts with holding on to the White House. It means regaining control, maintaining control of the Senate, and it means getting Mike Johnson out of the Speaker's chair by retaking the House of Representatives. Um, so look, we're going to be uh, we're going to be hard at work crisscrossing the country, making sure that people understand the ramifications of these court decisions, this legislation that folks don't even know their representative probably uh, co-sponsors to show folks what's at stake um, at this election. And right. then look, we have plenty of else, plenty of other things to talk about, but this is fundamental. I mean, this goes so far beyond an economic message or, you know, infrastructure and rebuilding communities. This is about, you know, people having their fundamental rights taken away. Massachusetts Congresswoman Lori Trahan represents the state's third. Congresswoman, thank you so much for the time. Thank you.